You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. Known as one of Australia's greatest songwriters, Andrew Ferris is known as the co-founder and the main songwriter for multi-award winning iconic band in excess, selling over 50 million albums. And Andrew Ferris recently released his self-titled debut album, inspired by adventure and the unknown, and he put his heart into the creation of the album, which is evident through his imaginative lyrics and stylistic melodies. His new song, Drifting, sets the tone for each dynamic song, delivering hopeful energy that makes you want to pack up and head out on your own unique adventure. But nothing can stop Andrew Ferris's creativity and his new album, Screams Road Trip. So hang on and let's welcome one of Australia's greatest musical talents, the one and the only Andrew Ferris. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. That, that's quite an introduction. Can you come with me on tour? <laughs> I can do that. I'm really, I'm really kind of hoping that one of these days that the, uh, the Opry will allow me to do the same thing. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's cool. And, and how are you? I'm doing great. I am doing great. It's been a full day of music and uh, we just keep on keeping on. And, and to have you on the show is just an absolute honor and a pleasure. Well, thank you right back at you, sir. And uh, what what would you like me to call you, uh, Mr. Bond or Ward or Dr. <laughs> Ward, Ward is fine. We're all talking about music, so uh, we can drop the doctor for now. But uh, I've got to honestly say, Andrew, I love your brand new single, Drifting, uh, on your brand new self-titled album. And for all of us, especially for me, what was your inspiration behind the song? Okay, well, yeah, I mean, just briefly, we were talking about, well, how crazy the pandemic was and how it changed everything. And, um, but one thing that was very odd about the timing of my new sort of country rock folk music that I'm doing was that at the very moment, you know, I released it and I went out to promote it, the pandemic started. And I was trying to launch myself into doing what I'm doing and then it occurred to me when I started thinking about the titles of the, you know, some of the songs on my self-titled LP, uh, Drifting, you know, it occurred to me, I thought, well, isn't that what everyone wants to do? They just want to feel, you know, like you, you, that you can go where you want and everything is you know, fine and you can drift around and, you know, it's more bohemian kind of thinking rather than, oh, I got to get locked in here. And then I go over there and I get locked in there and, you know, that was more like that, you know. Well, you know, well, you know, you bring up the pandemic. Uh, where did you and your family kind of get uh, stuck at? Right. Well, uh, my wife, uh, Marlena, uh, is from Dayton in Ohio. And um, uh, but we live down in Australia. Uh, she loves Australia and so does so do I. Um, but uh, and I have extended family in Australia. Actually, I have extended family now in the United States and I have extended family in, uh, in England um, because my dad was originally from England. But um, we were stuck in Australia, put it that way. But, you know, we, we kept busy and I, and I still was active. I, I can't help it. You know, I, I still play, I still write music. It's just who I am. It's what I do. <laughs> well, on your self-titled album, which ladies and gentlemen, 
I highly recommend for all of my viewers, all of my listeners to buy that album. So Andrew, not only did I fall in love with the song Drifting, there were three other songs on the album which I keep playing over and over again. And one of the ones I came across was Where Do You Sleep Tonight? And for me, it was like a, a little bit of maybe of a Zach Brown-esque sound, but the guitar solo was, it was just so pure. It's just a smooth sound. And literally, I have that song on repeat. Yeah, you know, I, that's right. And I, I actually, that was one of the songs that I recorded uh, with some very talented friends in, uh, in Nashville and uh, when I was there. Uh, and some of these recordings were recorded in Australia. Some of them were recorded, you know, all over the place, actually, including Nashville. Um, but those, that particular track, yeah, it's interesting you should bring that up. A lot of people, you know, have suggested I should, I should have put that out as a single or whatever, but it's funny. Yeah, I like the song, but one of the interesting things is uh, to me as a creative person, and I'm, I don't know if other songwriters or musicians would feel like this, but when you're creating and, and you're, and you're recording your, your material and you present it to people, you might have some people like some songs you're doing other people like these other songs more and some people don't like any of it but you know at first but the interesting thing is when you go to choose something as a single that you think that you know a, a huge population of people would like it's not that easy funnily enough you know? yeah and that's one reason why i love full-length lps because there's usually songs on there that you're gonna like and there may be some that one doesn't, but I haven't right. found that on your new album. Every song is fantastic. And another song that I really liked was Son of a Gun, which I can hear a bit of Eric Clapton, Mark Knopfler guitar sound in there. Uh, the guitar licks have, they're just a smooth, easy, bluesy tone. I could literally hear Eric Clapton recording that song. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, thank you. Yeah, no, uh, uh, I had, that was a purpose written song because when I first started my journey, uh, into what I'm doing now, I wanted to write a landscape of, uh, you know, of songs and music and set a tone. It could be back in the 19th century, you know, before electricity, um, it, it, you know, before all this incredible technology that we're talking to each other through. You know, we've got things whizzing around in, in outer space now and people talking about going to other planets like it's it's vid visiting your neighbors somewhere, you know. But really, it's not that long ago before there wasn't even electricity, but the instruments that people were using. And it's and I find it, I, I love the way that you've zeroed in on the, on the music part of it and, you know, some of the instrumentation, the guitar playing, you know, but I also wanted to have the mandolins, the banjos, uh, you know, and as much as possible, I wanted to track everything quite quickly. You know, the recordings were, were I mean, I worked out, you know, quite a, a long way ahead of the recordings, what songs I wanted to record and how I wanted to write them. But Son of a Gun in particular was purpose written once I realized the outlaw theme of what I was trying to do, because it's not something that's very, well, hasn't been very contemporary for a long, long time is to write that kind of out, outlaw, almost 1970s sounding, 
you know, old school, old school sort of country slash whatever, a little bit edgy, some of it, you know, some of it's not, you know, I, uh, you know, when I first started this, uh, I, had a, I had a good friend of mine, uh, he said to me, uh, look, Andrew, country music is all about, uh, it's all about trucks, beer and girls, okay? And I'm like, okay, you know, and then I started thinking about the songs I wanted to write. And I'm like, hmm, you know, uh, I think I'm going to go a little outside that, you know, so and that's what I've, I've really done. I've, I've gone and explored other things, you know. Now, you have another song on the album, which I noticed you actually released as a single. I don't know if you released it a year ahead of time of the album, but Run, Baby, Run. And that is a fantastic song. It's got this very late 70s vibe sound to it. Um, when I was listening to all of the songs, um, besides Drifting, Run, Baby, Run, Baby, Run, and You Are My Rock, they're just like perfect road trip songs. Right, yeah. Um, well, we had we had a lot of fun actually shooting videos for these things too. And Run, Baby, Run, uh, you know, if you get to look at the video, I believe it's up on, on my YouTube channel. Um, but if you get a chance to look at it, it's like a little movie. Uh, basically, you know, uh, there's a girl, you know, she's, she's being you know, treated badly by this crazy guy, you know, and he wants to sort of tie it to the railroad tracks like some old villain in a cowboy film. Um, and then, you know, she, she runs through the train. There's always crazy characters and I'm supposed to be rescuing her by, by riding a horse up next to a steam train. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they, there's very little CGI. A lot of it's real. Actually, we are riding horses and there is a steam train and it's real. And there are people running around. And, uh, you know, when I went to do this, uh, I, I was on my way to play a country music festival in Australia, a big festival. And um, on the way in, there's a, a steam train, like a real one that had carriages and they spent a lot of money and time on it, you know, and it's really cool. And as it pulled in, I was like, wow, this is exactly what I'm looking for, a steam train. So I said to the, 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 the steam, you know, the engineer, I said, look, uh, you know, any chance I could uh, shoot a video with your train? They're like, well, I don't know about that. You know, and I'm like thinking, well, okay. So I talked to the museum people and they said, all right, okay, you can play with a train for a day. I'm like, okay, now we're talking. Uh, what I really wanted to do was to run along the roof of the carriages, like uh, Robert Redford in, um, you know, uh, or, yeah, Butch know, Cassidy. Right, right. You know, and, and and really get into that cowboy crazy thing. You know, but they said I, I don't I don't think that we're we're going to let you do that today, Mr. Ferris. You know, I'm like, well, what about if I rode up next to the steam train on a horse? Well, uh, you know, so that's kind of where we went. We went. We tried to do as much as we could, um, you know, without, you know, losing it completely. But I I really like that video and a lot of it was my wife, Mylena's idea as well. She came up with a lot of the ideas for that. And um, in fact, we put a lot of effort into all the videos we've been shooting for my album and, and yeah, on we go. Yeah. Well, on the album, do you have a particular favorite? Uh, you, you mean song? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've got a couple of favorites. Uh, yeah, I do like Where Do You Sleep Tonight. Um, yeah, and uh, but I also like You Are My Rock and I think that is gonna be the next single that I release off my album, um, yeah, one of one of, or two or three of the guys out of the record label in Nashville really liked that particular song as well, and they keep saying that's the one, that's the one, you know. So I'm like, okay, you know. Um, but and we've shot a video for that as well, 
in Australia. Uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to live in kind of wide open spaces. I don't live in one of Australia's beautiful cities or most people know Australia for the, the coast, you know, because we have some incredible beaches, but I live inland. I'm a bit of a crazy guy. I live inland and I have, you know, horses and cows and, and there's hills and things around. And so we used a lot of the, the backdrop of where we live to create this landscape. And, you know, it, it, it sort of worked in harmony with my life. You know I mean, the music, the album, my life, you know, what I do in real life with what I'm doing with my music is kind of <clears throat> come into a kind of flow, you know, it's good. Well, with the, with the, well, for here in America, I would say, uh, with the pandemic virtually over, uh, are you planning on touring uh, with this new album? Yeah, you know, I'd love to do that, Ward. I really would. And uh, we're looking into some ideas for that right now. And and I got some ideas. And um, one of the things I, you know, I, I promised to my beautiful, beautiful woman, Marlene, I said, <clears throat> when I go down this journey, I want to make sure it's enjoyable. You know, like I, you know, not not that other parts of my career haven't been enjoyable. I loved all the years I spent within excess, incredible experiences. We played the biggest stages in the world. We worked in over 50 countries together, us guys. You know, we had an incredible experience. But for me going into this, uh, it's a little different where I just want to make sure that I'm happy, she's happy, the audience is having a good time, then everybody's happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, right? is it different to, be, to tour now uh, with a family as it was compared back in the days of NSX? Well, in, well yeah, with NSX, we... Um, well, some, they used to call us in excess from Texas for a little while there, but, um, but yeah. um, actually the governor of Texas, uh, when we played um, uh, Texas Stadium, I think that was back in 1988, um, they gave us an honorary citizenship award uh, for being Texas citizens. I don't have it with me right now, but I swear it's real. It's true. You know? um, but um, yeah, you know, we basically I, I'm, I'm, I'm just excited to get out there and play again. And I, I want to play in a, yeah, just want to perform in a really different way than I've ever done before. And I, and I love mixing things up. I like working with great musicians and, um, yeah, I, you know, I feel I'm lucky, you know? Well, your musical creativity has taken you from new wave pop to pub rock style with a mixture of funk and dance. Uh, where did your country music influences come from? Right. Well, my, thanks. My main role, uh, if you like, uh, with what I used to do with NXS was uh, I was a songwriter and I was sort of one of those guys, you know, you didn't see that much of me. Uh, you saw a lot of Michael Hutchins. He was such an incredible, dynamic performer, amazing singer. And we wrote a lot of songs together, uh, Michael and I. But that's the sort of part of it where I come in where, you know, uh, Michael never played an instrument. You know, his voice was his instrument. Uh, he was a, you know, he was an ideas guy, but he was, he wasn't really a musician, but I am, you know, plus I sing and I, I write lyrics as well as he did, but we weren't competitive, you know, uh, or I see a lot of bands, very, very famous bands that have come and gone. And I often read these stories and I think they're a little sad how two guys within a band that are very creative, they don't get on, they're very competitive and because they have very similar skill sets, you know. Whereas for Michael and I, we had a very polarized set of skill sets, you know. We used to laugh about it. He said, look, I'm nothing like you. I said, yeah, damn right, and I'm nothing <laughs> like you either, 
you know. And that was a lot of how we got on as friends is where, you know, and I'm comfortable now doing what I'm doing. It's not like my, what my old band was doing. And, um, but I miss those guys. I love them. They're my brothers and my friends. And we, we had a huge, huge experience together. And there are millions of InXS fans around the world. You know, we worked in over 50 countries. There's a lot of people we played to in a lot of years. But for what I'm doing now, I, I don't have quite as lofty ambitions. Uh, you know, I, I'll quote John Lennon. He said, you're lucky if anyone likes you. And I think that's still true today and will be true in the future. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been, what, 10 years since NXS performed its last show, but right. you turned you turned to writing songs for other artists and even mentoring students in your native Australia. So has it been a time of rediscovery for you or just a continuation of your creative spirit? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Um, but it's definitely the songwriting part of it that's been like a fish hook, you know, it's, it's come and got me. And kind of pulling on like this, you know, it's pulled me back into doing what I'm doing. I love writing songs, you know, and I, and I figured that the platform that I want to write, this is perfect for me. I love what I'm doing now. I love it. And I feel comfortable. Um, but what you asked me about, uh, you know, mentoring and, and that sort of thing, sure. Um, when my wife was going through her stage four metastatic breast cancer ordeal, uh, you know, there was a, awful experience for her in 2014 i got a letter from the australian national university in canberra which is our like our our version of washington dc is canberra in australia and i got a letter from the australian national university asking me would i like to work with the music college there and they gave me an office they put my name on the door uh, and i walked in there and i was like what's going on in here <laughs> walked out again and sat in the cafe you know um <laughs> but they had a piano in there. I went back in again and played piano. But, um, but what I learned from that year in 2015, uh, and it was good for us too after Marlena's cancer ordeal, was to go somewhere else for a little while and just sort of do something different, you know, as much as for her as it was for me. You know, it was good for her. Um, but I spent that year working with a, a lot of younger people and um, I began to realise, you know, I... I I thought, what am I doing here? I, I don't have rank, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't have a PhD, you know, I, I'm, I'm not that, I'm not that guy, but I do have a, a hell of a lot of experience in the entertainment business and with media and all sorts of things. And I thought I can value add to people's lives by just telling them, you know, perhaps maybe try this and perhaps don't try that, you know, when you're doing things. And, you know, I don't know it all, but I know a little bit about some things, you know, and, and that was where I found I, I really, it worked for me being at the university there for a year and it, it was a really interesting experience for me. I, you know, I, there was one experience where, um, you know, I, I felt I, I got a bit in a crossfire with some politics with people and, and I thought, okay, now I understand universities a bit better, you know. And, um, and someone was saying, well, you don't have any rank, you know, you, you don't belong here, you didn't do the time or whatever, and I'm like, well, maybe not, but I tell you what, you get your funding. If you all get along now, and I know how to go into, you know, to do media, and you got to talk the right things, you have to say the right things, and then they'll give you your funding. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Well, you know, 
if you're the one bringing in the money, everybody else can shut up. <laughs> right. Otherwise, they won't have a job. You know? Well, yeah, but here's the thing that, that always kind of, uh, I don't know, rubbed me the wrong way. People like you, I think life experience trumps a college degree. And you come in because you're focused on students who are wanting to learn, maybe songwriting and arrangements. You're the guy that will know how to do those things. Sure, there are college-trained people that can do that, but it's the life experience. You've been on the road. You've been in a band. You've sold 50 million records. I don't think you need a degree to walk through those doors to teach those students. You have what it takes, and I'm sure that they were just honored to have the, the students were probably very, I mean, know that they were honored to have you there. Yeah, I appreciate that, Ward. And I also, you know, I also appreciate the people from the Australian National University that encouraged me to be a part of that year in 2015, that they awarded me a fellowship. And I really appreciated that. Um, they didn't have to do that. And, and, and I, I, to me, all of these experiences have led to what I'm doing now in a really strange way, uh, because it also, you're right, you asked me before, you know, what was I doing when I was doing all that? I, it, when I think back carefully over the last five, six, seven years, it's all of these things have led me to what I'm doing now. It's really hard to explain, including, um, you know, I, when I first started recording, uh, what would then become my album, and I've also have a five-track EP called Love Makes the World. And when I first started recording these songs, I didn't actually start off saying, I want to make a country record. That's not what I started off doing. However, I do live in the country. And I, uh, you know, people in the little small town near where I live, they wear cowboy hats. And even though I've come from a kind of a, you know, a very, I don't know, you know, an international sort of rock funk, you know, thing that I've come from. I live in an area where people, they do work outdoors. You know, they, they, they live hard physical lives. They work hard physically. And, uh, and, uh, and I go to the local pub and I, I'll, have, I'll have a beer with some of these people and they're my friends. And I suddenly realized that, you know, I, I actually, I'm now becoming more authentic. I'm becoming the person where I live with these people. You know, I'm, I'm not in a fantasy entertainment world. I'm actually living with the people I work with and I'm dressing a little like some of them and I'm feeling comfortable, I, I, you know, in, in a good way. I mean, artistically, it helps me too because I, I get to write on a subject matter that, that, that I, I try to, to keep my lyrics pretty much about, you know, real life and real experiences, you know. Well, did you learn, did you even, all right, did you learn things from your own students? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, sure. I mean, one of the things that, you know, one of the things I learned is, a, you know, I'll be sitting with some of the students and, you know, they're a lot younger than me. And I'm like, man, I'll never be able to play like that as long as I live. You know, the, the, the instrumentation and the things are coming and creativity as well. You know, a lot of them would like uh, uh, jazz, you know, uh, you know, uh, brilliant, brilliant jazz musicians. Um, you know, uh, others were sort of classically trained to the max, you know, um, actually, uh, you know, my, my story, I've always been like this, probably it's been a really good thing, but at the same time, an odd thing for me is I started off classically playing piano and then I got bored with it because it was like 
school. It was like going to school. You know, so I said to my mother, God bless her, I said, look, I, I don't want to play piano anymore. Um, because it's like going to school. You have to have exams and they test you. And they put this, you know, they put the music, other people's music in front of you. And she's like, yeah, well. And I'm like, well, I, I don't want to do that. I, I want to play my music. She looked at me like, I'm a crazy little brat, which I probably was, you know. And so she said, what do you want to do instead? I said, well, I want to play popular songs. Like when you turn on the radio and you, you hear things and, you know, and she said, well, she didn't really understand what I was trying to say. And I, so she, she found, and I wish I, you know, oh, I wish I could ask mom now, you know, but she found this Japanese lady used to sit with me and I would ask her questions and I would say, okay, you know, if I play this C chord like this down here, what's the relative minor to that? Well, that's an A minor like that, you see, but that works the whole way up and down the keyboard. And all these things were like little doors opening me, you know, opening to me of like, I could have I could have studied classical music for another 15 years and not really had these things explained to me in simple terms. And for most kids, when they sit down to learn music, okay, YouTube is a great thing, you know, where they can learn things very quickly off YouTube, you know, including oh, yeah. me, you know, right? Any of us, right? But for me, when I when I first started to to realize that, wait a minute, there is no rules with music, you know, I, that I. And that, on the one hand, was really, you know, incredibly exciting. But on the other hand, it's scary. Now, other people may relate to this because you sit down, you, you go to create something or you, you write something and you think, I don't really know what I'm doing. But I'll tell you, folks, that is the beauty of it. The mm -hmm. beauty of it is that if you don't know what you're doing, you're probably doing something really good. <laughs> wow. You know, I think about some of the most famous musicians and a lot of them can't read music, right. you know, uh, a lot of them, uh, they only play by ear and it's just strictly just creativity pouring out of them. And so what were some of the things that you were teaching those students that, you know, I'm sure, like you said, a lot of those students were very highly trained. What did you teach them? Right. Well, when I, when I quickly realized that I will never have some of their musical skill sets, I went to thinking of more life skills, you know, and when you're young and, you know, you're leaving high school or whatever, and you're going to university or you're going to college or whatever it is you're doing, you may not even know how to get your car insured, you know, right? You don't, you don't even know how you do all these, you, well, let alone change a tire in your car or, do you, so I started thinking more like that. I started thinking, well, you know, let's let's get a blackboard in the room here, and you tell me, like, here we let's say here we are in 2022. Where do you want to be in 2027? You know, let's put the years up here, and where do you think you're going to be doing what you're doing? Like, even with your music, what do you want to do? You know, and they kind of stare at me like I never thought of it like that. I said, well that's how you should think about it. Because if you want to end up somewhere where you want to be, you need to start thinking like that. It was more like that where I started to realize I'm not I, sure I can show people, Hey, you ever tried playing this or ever tried playing that? But I, you know, but that's really more about me. That's more my style. You know, I'm more about encouraging other people's styles and how they think. And I think that is important because these are the people that will be making great music down the track. You know, it's them. You know? Well, yeah. And, you know, 
and I ask, I ask a lot of artists uh, this that have long careers. And for you, what is the biggest difference you've seen from playing back in the 1990s and then, and then how the music industry has changed over the last 30, 40 years? What's the biggest difference you've seen now? Right. Um, I, well, good, good question. There's a lot of technology that's changed things. Um, I mean, the 1990s, yeah, sure. Uh, I think that was definitely the beginning of where we are now, where everything is very much digitized and everything's digital, you know. Um, but there are still, it's almost like we're in, what are we, 2022? And some, in a really strange way, it's like being right now in 1922, <laughs> where we still have remnants of the 20th century, right, that are hanging, coming along with us, you know, of what I call the physical years, you know, where you did things physically and not digitally. Everything was in and and real time, um, you know, and, and even before that in the 19th century, even more so before electricity, you know. But right now, I feel like the 90s was the beginning of, of us embracing a lot of this technology. And whilst I may sound like a Neanderthal, I think I'm partly right, where just because something is new doesn't mean it's good for us. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I mean, now, when, when you recorded... Uh, with the band with with in excess, uh, yeah. was that was that still at the time when uh, bands were recording on tape before Pro Tools? Oh yeah, yeah. When we could afford to get a tape recorder, actually, our, the first album in excess ever made, I think we made it for like ten thousand uh, dollars, and we and we could only afford to do it. Uh, we used to play like seven, eight, nine gigs a week, believe it or not, two gigs a night on the weekends, and then we would record after the the show so we'd be start recording around about you know 11 o'clock at night and we'd usually finish about four or five in the morning and the poor engineer guy who was recording on that album session the first album the 24 track tape recorder burst into flames you know um <laughs> it was just yeah it was crazy right but you know um but sure and that was all analog everything was you know analog uh you know um but there's an interesting thing, you know, because that first album we recorded was, I think, 1980. But prior, really, to 1980, and I'm not talking about, say, craft work or, you know, some, you know, early explorers, you know, with, with, with electronic music and people like that, you know, brave souls who went out there, you know. It, 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 it's not that so much as it, you couldn't actually perform on stage. Right. Or go in the recording studio if you couldn't play your instrument physically. You you, you didn't record anything and you didn't go on stage. You know? Yeah. Whereas in the right in the era we're living in now, you go to see someone to be entertained and half the time you're listening to technology on stage or watching things exploding and screens and whatever going on. But some of my favorite performers of all time and still are, 
I don't care if there's dancing girls. Well, I like dancing girls, but I don't care if there's dancing girls on stage, you know, uh, and things exploding and whatever. I, I don't care about all that. I just want to hear great musicians, great singers, you know, people who know how to write great songs. That entertains me. But that's, I guess, the generation I come from. You know. Well, no, I completely agree. And, you know, I, I've talked to young people who which surprises me that they they listen to music that they should be listening like today's music but they don't they're listening back into the early 90s the 80s the 70s some of the right. late 60s and, right. and some of those young people i think they have old souls and and i talked to them i said so what do you think about today's music and they're like today's music just sucks you know because yeah. the songwriting is so bad it's like you had 40 people on an album that uh, are listed as songwriters and the only and there's only one lyric in the whole song and that's just not music i'm like you if i go see someone to perform i like watching people play their instruments sing yeah. songs that they sat down and either agonized for 30 minutes to write or maybe it took them two months to get the chorus right you know right. i love the stories of the songs and i mean for you do you miss the days of recording on tape I, you know, that's interesting. Uh, one, of the, one of the more interesting things that people may not realize, you know, professionals or when you get into recording, you begin to realize. But for people who, you know, it's, they don't know how it all happens or comes together. One of the interesting things about recording on tape, you know, in older times was the limitations of the technology that you used. So, the limitations of the technology in some ways was a blessing because you had to get your act together. You had no choice. You had to make it all work and sound right. You had to get the song together before you even walked in there to start playing or singing and recording. And then you had such limited technology to do what you were doing. And that is the reason I think a lot of the younger people, and I know exactly what you're talking about, <laughs> How they've come around to liking a lot of old school music. I, I, I don't think it's so much a fashion thing. I no. think it's partly what people love. And this is going to sound like a little strange thing to say. They like the human frailty of the music that they're listening to. They I, like the I agree. That everything's not perfect. The fact that everything's not auto-tuned. The fact is that, that it sounds a little messed up. It sounds human. It sounds like you, you could play it in a garage, right? Well, yeah, because see, you know, I'm thinking back about how the Beatles recorded some of their songs. They may they may have slowed down uh, John's voice by a beat yeah. or two, and you can't duplicate that today. Uh, you know, the Bee Gees creating all of those amazing songs, you know, on tape and creating sounds. You know, what I loved about tape is that the musicians... It, to me, it pulled out more of that human creativity and not getting lazy with technology. It's kind of like sitting around thinking, okay, we want to do this with this song, but how do we make it happen? So it forces right. them to move into a new step uh, forward to do something amazing. And I think that uh, we've lost that. And, uh, you know, for some, um, I think it was what uh, David Crawley, bought, he bought the, the big board that used to be at Sound City. I'm like, brother, go for it. Bring back the old way of recording because to me, that just pulls more talent out of someone that uh, is, they have the dream in their head, but now mm. it's time to put the energy to that dream.
Right, right. And I think what, if I can say what you're touching on is something very, very interesting in, in, in the world we're living in now, including the entertainment industry. You know, it's very interesting where um, probably even applies to film as well, but especially with music too, is that you're beginning to wonder as you're, as you're listening to music or you're watching a film, what is actually real and what isn't real, right? Like you're thinking, what, what am I actually listening to or what am I watching here, you know? Um, uh, you know, I, I watched an amazing film called Call of the Wild with Harrison Ford in it uh, on, on the aeroplane the other day. And I was just stunned at how this dog was so humanized by CGI. A brilliant film, great script and everything. But at the same time, it's sort of like that, that, is, that is one freaky looking dog because the dog is like a, a person, right? And it's doing things and it's, it's like, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it, it was, uh, to me, I, I draw the parallel with music, you know, um, that sometimes I'm listening to something and I'm like, I, I don't know, like, I, on the one hand, I love it because people explore and technology enables them to do that. But what I'm, I, I'll try to be more precise about what I'm saying. With technology, I can't help but wonder, you know, if almost you had two award ceremonies in the era to come, you have one award ceremony that you give an award to someone for their human skill sets. And then there's a whole other award ceremony that differentiates between what technology was used and then you give those awards to the technology people. Because otherwise, I'm not quite sure whether I'm, I'm what I am watching or listening to and who's being awarded for their artistic merit in, in, a, in, a, in a human musical sense or, or even an acting sense or something. No, um, I agree. You see oh, what I mean? Oh, or, or I, I absolutely completely understand where yeah. you're coming from because, yeah. and I think today um, the water's muddied a bit. Yeah. You know, I would rather give an award to someone who had the human talent to bring forth something amazing versus somebody who sat there in their basement on pro tools and also created something amazing, yeah. but there should be two separate awards for things <laughs> yeah. like that. I'm not going to fault the, the person who can create digitally because right, right, that's right, a new, that's right. a whole new art form. Even Mark Ronson does that. Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. And, and look, I, I, the reason I'm talking about that is because when you asked, you know, what was going on 35, 40 years ago, I was right into anything that was to do with cutting edge technology in the day. You know, I loved working with, you know, early, you know, uh, digital platforms, um, you know, samplers, uh, drum machines, uh, you know, working with anything. I still, I still love working with these mediums. All I'm saying is it's become very confusing as to as to whether the technology is, you know, is actually, um, you know, responsible for what you're listening to purely the technology or that what part of it is actually, you know, there's a human skill set involved in it. I guess it's a, it's really a combination is what we're, what we're talking about. Well, you know, I kind of like, um, it's kind of like having <coughs> artists that, that, uh, create an incredible album. They have all the musicians, everything is done fantastic. But then I also like it to when they take those same songs and they go out 
and do an acoustic set, just them right. and a guitar. Right. It's raw. It's yeah. real. It yeah. probably has more emotion than the actual album. And and I love things. I mean, I love acoustic sets from most artists that will actually do them. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. And I, I, I especially, if I can add to that, me too. But I also, uh, I also love live performance when it's fully live as well. Yeah. And um, you know I, that I that I you know, I mean I won't say which acts, but there are some acts that I've seen over the years, and they make me almost want to cry, you know, uh, emotionally because it's you know what you're seeing is just extraordinary. Um, you know, I'll, just one example was. Uh, a friend of mine asked me to go see uh, Ravi Shankar when he was still alive and Anushka Shankar at the Sydney Opera House. And I, I literally cried because I thought this, the skill sets of these people that, I, that I'm watching is something extraordinary in my lifetime. Forget about technology. Just forget about that. They, they, what I'm watching and listening to is just otherworldly. It comes from a place that, that is not technology. It comes from deep within us there's something else i'm being exposed to here and it was but i i feel the same in other art forms of music too um you know um i'm trying i remember going along i think it was 1990 uh when my band in excess was you know, we were playing huge concerts at that point in our career all around the world and someone said do you want to go see john hook john lee hooker he's playing in a tent i said damn right i do <laughs> and uh so myself and and uh one of the guys who I was working with, uh, we went down, there's this huge big tent and it was basically all bikey gangs, you know, some Hells Angels and guys with colors and all the leathers and stuff. And I'm like, whoa, it's going to be interesting. You know, so I go through the door and, uh, and they're all standing around, like, you know, thinking like, this is not a good place to get into a problem with someone as I'm looking around, you know. And, um, but you have a beer or whatever, you relax. And next minute he comes out on stage to boom, 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 ba -dun, ba -dun. next minute you're like, whoa. And the whole place, all these big tough guys are like teddy bears all jump, jumping around in this building. And no one, you know, there was no feeling of aggro or any, you know, and I thought, isn't that amazing? You know, it's like, isn't that amazing that music can do this to people? Just nobody feels, there's just a lot of love in the room. All these people are having a great time. It's really good. And then, then you go, that's because it's real. You know, there's a real emotion flowing through here with all these people and they, they want the same thing. They want the same experience, you know? Well, that's the thing I, I love about the power of music. It's emotional. It yeah. creates instant memories. If, if there was an, an event in any of our lives and a song is playing, we'll always remember that when that song comes on, we remember that event. And right. there is a power that music has that almost cannot even be explained. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, Glenn Campbell, who, right. who passed away with Alzheimer's. But music yeah. was so powerful in Glenn's life that the very last thing he lost to Alzheimer's was music. Mm. The very last thing, because music, you know, it's kind of like I tell people. If you really want to improve your brain power, go learn a musical instrument because you're yeah. going to be learning from your eyes, your brain, your hands. Uh, if you're going to sing along, your voice, and you're remapping your brain. So you're actually creating memories and, and new ways of learning. 
And which is why for me, I think, you know, kids today, even if they're under the age of seven, you know, get them hooked on playing music because there is just a power there. But, but just, you know, I understand, you know, like John Lee Hooker, you know, I've seen, you know, people like Buddy Guy and Keb Moe and, and Mm -hmm. they're the only one now with, you know, with Buddy Guy, he's got a band, but Keb Moe just comes out there with a guitar and (laughs) you're just blown away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. You know, because he's great. I mean, <laughs> yeah, actually, I think, I think, uh, I think I saw him, maybe, I'm, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure I, I didn't meet him, but I saw him in a guitar store in Nashville. Um, yeah, and uh, I was staying there and, and everyone's going, about it, you know, but, and I thought that it's cool. I think, I, yeah, that's Kevin Moore over there. That's cool. Um, but I, that is something I hope that, you know, in the future that, that the younger people really get excited again about physical instruments because, uh, you know, like we, we've already talked about this, but really the technology of recording, uh, in my opinion, shouldn't be more re- important than the recording itself. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. You know, it's funny. I was watching, I was watching a documentary with Mark Ronson and, and he uses technology to the max. Cool but he also uses traditional instruments yeah. and and you and you know this firsthand there is an artistry to creating music it's kind of like you know you're you're the artist you're the songwriter you're creating right. something and you know people may like it people may not but that's not really the whole point the whole point is you're creating something that is pouring out of you and you're putting it down on paper you're putting it down on tape uh, or putting it down on an iMac, and uh, and hoping that the rest of the world be it, will will hear it and fall in love with it just as much as the creator that created it. Yeah, right. You know, it, it, it's interesting talking about Mark Ronson. I I, I don't I, I've never I don't know Mark. Um, he's an incredibly talented man, obviously. And like say with the Uptown Funk, I was thinking about the massive success of that song, and um, you know the contributions of the people, obviously, that went into to making that that happen but you know to to a you know there's been moments in my life in my career that I look back on and I'll, I'll give you an example where I'm heading with this I remember when my band we recorded our sixth studio album with an excess called kick and uh, the record company at the time told us they didn't like the album and to go back and re-record it in fact they offered us a lot of money to go back and re-record it. And we said, no, we, we really like this album. We, we really believe in it, you know? Um, and we took it to radio and in the end, we had five top 10 hits off that one album around the world. And uh, and if imagine if we listened to the people who were telling us they didn't like the record, right? But when what I mean about, you know, with Uptown Funk is it I thought about that because after we released Kick, our album back then, um, there was a new, uh, a bit like the Grammys in Australia called the Arias that just started in Australia and Elton John was there and, and George Martin, uh, the Beatles producer was there and, um, and George was talking to us as a band and, um, and I, I got excited like we all did because, Hey, he's one of those guys, you know, and you, and he, we're talking to him and, 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 and I said, Hey, you know, we can, you know, wait till you see what we're going to do next. And I, I'll never forget what he said. It was like the, kind of like the Dalai Lama. 
He said, what's wrong with what you've already done? Yeah. Hmm. Wow. And, yeah. And, I, and to this day, I still think about that. Because even though you've got me on this show, thank you, Ward, and I'm talking about my music, and it's really kind of you to have me on here and everything. But really, you know, I think what I, you know, we were talking about younger people just love playing instruments and, you know, they want to play in real time. Play with your friends. Go, you know, it's how you meet people too. It's a social thing. It's not just about playing music. It's about being social with people. You know, when I was a little kid, um, you know, uh, my dad was originally from, from, from London um, and he'd come out after the World War II and he came to Australia and met my mother who was Australian. Um, and then he hadn't been back to see his parents or my grandparents in, in, in London for 15 years. So he put my brothers and I on a ship. We went for three weeks uh, on the ship uh, to London up through the Suez Canal and all that stuff. And when we got there, because in those years, I'm talking 1964, uh, people didn't travel by aircraft, you know, they didn't go by jet. They went by ship or they didn't go at all. It was only the very wealthy or perhaps the military that flew around in aircraft. So when we got there, you know, other Australians had probably heard that our family was there. So they asked us to come down to a variety show. So we walked into the variety show and the Beatles walked out and played two songs. <laughs> right. Oh, my and gosh. Yeah. We were just sitting there as little kids, you know, and uh, I still think that that was not only, you know, we were so lucky, my brothers and I, to experience that. But dad used to have Ray Charles records, you know, like the vinyls when we were little kids. And we used to we used to play all these you know, vinyl records or whatever, as well as try to get our own. We used to, <laughs> if we could find them anywhere, you know, um, or afford them when we were little kids. But um, years later, um, you know, uh, my band In Excess was recording in Paris and um, in Studio Gillam Tell. And downstairs was Mr. Ray Charles. He was recording. And our manager at the time said, why don't you send him down a couple of songs and see if he'd be interested in recording them. I'm like, uh, are you kidding? That's Ray Charles. He's not going to want to do one of my songs. You know, no way. You know, just, just do it. You know, so Michael and I sent down these couple of songs we'd written together. And he comes back and says, yeah, I really like these. Let's do it. And I'm like, what? You know, um, and then we ended up, he did a duet on one of our albums. Uh, yeah, and it's a song with uh, a duet with Michael on one of our records. And then we ended up shooting a video with Mr. Charles in downtown New York City. And then we played live with Mr. Charles on the David Letterman show. And I think it was 1994. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because just like these things of seeing the Beatles and, you know, and, and playing with Mr. Charles and, and meeting him, and, and, and the, these are real people with real the actually in real time. It's not fantasy. It's actually happening. And and what I, it's the same thing. For kids should get excited about the social aspect of music. It's not just about the button pushing, the technology, the recording. Music should be a social thing, whether you're playing live or, or you're meeting people or you're experiencing other musicians. People play, you know, for Pete's sake, go and play with someone more talented than you. Do it. Go find someone that's much more talented than you and play with them because that's how you learn. Right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah no, I completely agree. It, it's a social thing. 
It should be. I mean, you know, I talked to so many uh, recording artists about they're in Nashville and it's basically having songwriter parties or, or songwriter right. collaborations are sitting around. They're saying, Hey, I got this. I wrote this one line, you know, is there something to it? Can we add to it? Or maybe right. somebody like you, somebody wrote a whole song, but they're like, I just don't like this one part of the song. What am I missing here? And then everybody gets together. They have fun. They, they talk about it and, and a song is created. I love that process. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and that's why I'm, <laughs> yeah, you more that, so. I just get to listen to them all. <laughs> right. But that's why I told you that was the fish hook. What? <laughs> that's what got me in. You know, it's like I'm, I write songs. I love it. You know, and, and I'll write with people of all ages. You know, I, I, I'm, you know, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm no spring chicken, but I, but I, you know, but I, and I like working with people of my own vintage, if I can use that word. And I also like working with younger people. I, you know, I'm just happy to, I like the social aspect of it, like I said, and, and I think you never stop learning you, you, about lots of things, not just music, lots well, of stuff. Well, what is next on the vast horizon for Andrew Ferris? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm gonna put a sing, come right back to where we started talking about before. I'm gonna put another single out called You Are My Rock. Uh, it's got a video. Um, and I want to play live. And now the pandemic's easing and people are beginning to travel more. And, you know, and, and that's a great thing. You know, I, I, I feel that we, I like to think that we, as much as there's so many problems in the world and very serious problems, that I also like to think that we, a lot of us live in the best time ever on earth. That's how I like to look at life right now. I, I, I think if we, we can put down some of our grievances with with certain things and you know you all get along now uh is we're going to have an amazing time if we just pull it together you know oh i i completely agree and ladies and gentlemen andrew ferris's self-titled album the new hit single is drifting and i will tell you this the whole record is a hit i'm not just saying that because i spend time listening over and over again all of my musical guests just like andrew i want to get into the music i want to listen and yeah. it, it may be a new genre for me but i want to listen and learn but andrew your album is spectacular it takes me back to the days of when we had that easy going americana style rock little bit country here and there but it's just, it's music that's made for everybody. And for me, I'm going to listen to the album again tonight because I'm just going to let it help me to, well, drift to another place wherever my mind takes me. And uh, again, Andrew, you got a hit record on your hands. Thanks, Ward. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, and remember... Buy Andrew Ferris's brand new self-titled album with the new hit single, Drifting, and the brand new upcoming song that he's telling us about, You Are My Rock, which I will tell you is just as great. So go to andrewferris.com. It's at the bottom of your screen. Check out the brand new album. Find out when he's going to be touring. And at the same time, Buy the album, buy the merch, buy the T-shirt, buy the concert ticket. And Andrew, you ever come down to Houston, Texas my way, I'm coming to your show.
or at Ward. Well, I expect you to be there and we'll see you soon. Hey, absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, stick around because we'll be right back after this.